0: 1 John chapter 2 verse 12 I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one I have written to you children because you know the father I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And Father, we do thank you for this word. We pray now that you would help us to understand and to apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I came to this text, I, in looking at how does it start, what's going on here, I was kind of reminded of when I was in the Navy and I went to the Middle East for my first time, I was tasked sort of with my first combat mission And leading up to the mission, we, as a platoon, were pulled into this this briefing room. And this sort of junior Navy guy, he was like probably like an E-5 or E-6, which means nothing to half of you. But he was just an enlisted guy. But he was an intelligence person that was supposed to brief us on what was going on. And I was sort of new, but I felt kind of above this guy because I was a part of this SEAL team. And as he started briefing us over the the culture and the characteristics and the what was going on in that current situation, he he began to say, "Well, a bunch of you have probably been here already. Now, how many of you haven't been here already?" And I was like, "Oh man, it's like okay." So so about four of us had to raise our hands, like. Okay, we're we part of the SEAL team, but we've never been to the Middle East, and none of us at this point really know our culture. And so as he began explaining the situation, he would kind of address us all collectively, but then... To those of us who hadn't been there before, he'd say, okay, this is some of the things you really have to keep your eyes out. Now, you older guys that have been here before, you understand all this, and these are the things that you really need to kind of keep an eye on these guys, and he, he briefed us a situation. It's, it's like this anywhere that the military goes. Before you go into a country, they'll brief everybody. They say, okay, guys, you can go out in town. People are friendly there, but watch out for this section. Uh, there's some things that you need to watch out for, all of the rules, because the ship's going to leave in 48 hours so don't miss ship's movement and so when i get to this section i almost see john sort of pausing he'd he'd ended with hey love one another love your brothers if you don't love your brother the word of god's not in you and and we in this section we see sort of four categories we see uh, little children we see fathers we see young men and then we see children Little children and children are different words, and and I believe that there there's a different sort of text and or a different sort of meaning. And so John's writing, and I I kind of sense that he's he's pulling all of all of the kids together because he's he's the father of the church. He's the only living apostle. He's in his mid to late nineties, is what they suspect at this time, and he's looking at the the church and he says, "Hey guys." You're doing great. You have all the tools to, to, to run the race, but I want to give you some warnings. I want to encourage you a little bit. And when he says, "Little children," I think he's encompassing everybody. This is really a term of endearment for John. If you'd follow me through first John, starting at first John chapter two, verse one, I, I want to look at this term "little children" to show you how he uses it throughout his books, or throughout this letter to, to relate to everybody. He starts by saying, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then in verse 12, we see, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake." Moving over to 228, he says, now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Going down to chapter 3, verse 7, he writes, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Moving down to verse 18 in chapter 3, he says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Going down to chapter 4, verse 4, he says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world and then he concludes his letter the last verse chapter 5 verse 21 by saying little children guard yourselves from idols and so when we see the term little children come up as he begins to address these different groups i think he starts out by addressing everybody hey all of you are in christ your are little children to me. I'm the, the, the grandfather of the church, and I'm writing to you with great love. And I, all of us as children of God, of the, of those who have accepted Christ as Savior, the the foundation is to understand that our sins have been been forgiven for His namesake. Guys, this is this is square one. You're in Christ. Your sins have been paid for. Don't be steered off track. Don't get off course. In the next two or three sections, fathers, young men, he he doubles up. He says fathers twice. And both times he says, says, you've known him from the beginning. And and I want to point out, women, you're not exempt. I just want to kind of take a time out for those of us that are going, okay, it says little children. Okay, I'm in that category, but fathers and men. I want to point out that this has nothing to do with age or gender. It has everything to do with maturity in Christ. So you could be an 80-year-old woman that just received Christ two weeks ago, and you're a child, that you're, you're just learning to walk with the Lord. It has to do with maturity. And so when he says fathers, he's addressing those that have been walking with the Lord for a long time. I have no idea what sort of chronology that actually means. Does that mean a year, uh, six years? Probably different for each one of us. Some of us mature a little bit slower than others. I know that I was a believer for, you know, probably five years, and I hadn't matured that quickly. Others I know who come to the Lord, and they because of their childhood, they have a much uh, deeper foundation that they can maybe advance. I and I don't know, but I certainly think that all of this applies to all of us. But as he says, fathers, you've known him from the beginning. As I kind of ponder this. Section that that command to the fathers. It makes me think of you know the longer I've walked with the Lord, the longer I've known Him. It's easy to to slip into sort of religion of you know I've done all of this stuff and and to to steer kind of away from my relationship with God. That I get stuck in the rut of why I go to church on Sundays, I go to Bible study on midweek services, and and I I do all of this stuff, but. But my actual my relationship with God, my knowing Him, it's kind of drifted, and I think that John here is saying, "Remember, you've known Him from the beginning. Stay in your relationship with Him. God cares about this intimacy." Then, as He goes to young men, I love this 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 picture of the young men, these the the young believers who are who are not babies, but they're they're still kind of on fire for the Lord, and they're zealous and they're charging. You know, he says stuff like, you've overcome the evil one. You are strong and overcome the evil one. And the word abides in you. You get this sort of like, you've just come to Christ. You've been walking with him. You've got the tools in your tool belt. And you're ready to just take on the world. I mean, it's Jesus in Matthew 16:18 who says, when he talks about the church that the gates of hades won't overpower it and we so often misinterpret that verse thinking that well the gates of hades won't overcome it that that means that the church is in this defensive posture and we're 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 building up walls so that the world can attack us but if you look at the original context the gates it was it was circling around a town it was a defensive tool And it says the church, the gates of Hades won't overpower the church, meaning that the church is offensive. And you see young people like I'm so tickled. If you guys are on Facebook and you're following Ben Fredericks, like it's just kind of it tickles me to see his post like out on the college campus, you know, Taking on the professors and and you know challenge them with the gospel it's like oh man this is i'm so excited for him you know he was kind of trying to figure out what god's doing and he wanted to throw himself into the frying pan so that you know he could grow and it's just exciting to see this sort of this zeal come alive it's like oh lord give us all a little bit of that it's like i'm ready to take you on devil i'm not afraid i've got christ i'm ready to conquer and he gives him this sort of boy, And then when he comes down to the children, this word children is different than the little children. It literally could be translated like a little child under instruction that here you're a new believer, you're being trained. And he reminds him, you know, the father like all through this, this this knowing whether you're old or young, that John is impressing upon them this. You you know him. You have this relationship with him. Walk with him. Stay close to him. As we get through this book, we'll constantly see the term abide in him. Stay close to God because the world around around you is going to try to steer you off course. And as he looks at all of these groups, little children, your sins have been paid for. Uh, Fathers, you've known him from the beginning. Children or young men. Yeah, you're what does he say here i see i got ahead of myself you're strong you've overcome the evil one you're charging young children that are sitting under instruction you know him also it's like this you guys you can do it you're doing good you're walking the walk i think of a huddle you know the valley baptist our church soccer league is not exactly the we're not going to the world cup anytime soon yeah. <laughs> we're we're hoping to get a victory in one of these seasons. Yeah, well easy, easy. There's no stutter, we don't need to go there. But 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 in our games so often like the halftime, you know, Dan Dan Kidder's kind of the, the coach of the team since he knows sports and we're beaten and bruised and the score's nine to one, not in our favor. And he's like, Okay, you guys are doing great. <laughs> and we're like Really, okay. I I feeling good, Dan. Okay, you guys are really doing good. Um, we're we're really we're communicating good. Now we might want to try passing the ball, pass the ball a little bit more because if you pass the ball, you're you're going to keep them running. Uh, w- watch out for this. We need more people on defense. And he starts giving us some some things to try to help us out in the second half. And so for us, a victory normally is constituted. Okay, we were up nine to two in the first half and we held him to four goals in the second half, but we didn't score anything. And so so we see improvements and and it's easy as we observe. And and as we turn the page here or go into this next verse, he gives them all the attaboys. But I see John as this, this man who has walked with the Lord for a long time and he's looking at the church these young believers he knows that his time is short on this earth and he wants to give him these these common areas that that trip up believers he starts out with don't love the world or the things in the world in the next what is it four verses this this term world comes up six times there's something important about this world but i start thinking wait a minute Do not love the world nor the things of the world. Wasn't it John who wrote John 316, which says, for God so loved the world. He's already pointed us up in verse two of the same chapter. He says that that Christ was a propitiation for our sins, but not only for our sins, but for the whole world. Kind of highlighting this, this love for the world. But we come here and he says, don't love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, and so it causes a sort of pause. What, what's he saying here? Now, in, when we read our Bibles and we come to words, it's important to understand how how can this word be used? In John 3.16, clearly, he's when he uses that terminology, and in 1 John 2.2, 2, and he's, when he talks about Christ dying for the sins of the world, he's not talking about innate objects. He's, he's speaking of people. And so world can be used to speak of, of people of the world, humanity. But as he comes into this section, he's not speaking of people. He's, he's talking about a, a system. One commentator says this, that John warns of a world system opposed to God. And so within this world filled with people who are not walking with the Lord while God loves them, their ideology, their ways go against God. And so he's going to give warnings about this sort of, hey, don't love that ideology. Be careful. And there's this contrast for love of the world and love of God. And it makes me does this mean that we shouldn't enjoy life i I, like some have said well we can't enjoy anything here because if you enjoy stuff here then then you're loving the world and i don't think it means that but by any stretch of the means that god's given us this life he's he's blessed us with things i but i do think what he's getting at is that he wants us to have hearts like job now, Job in the first chapter of, of the book that records the story of his life, what had happened? He was a blessed man, and, and he's living his life. And behind the scenes, we see this sort of interplay between God and Satan. And Satan says, I bet I can take that Job, but I can make him curse your name. I can make him resent you. God says, no, not Job. You can do whatever you want him, but just don't take his life. And as this as the first chapter sort of unravels, we see that everything's taken, his livelihood, his, his children, his spouse, his whole world is just decimated, but not his life. And at the end of the chapter, we see Job say this, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we see this, what I refer to as like open-handed theology of Job, that, that he goes through life, his his hands are open, and if God gives to him, he feels just super blessed. And he's thankful to God for the gifts that he has. But if everything's taken away, he still gives God thanks. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. He And he's not talking about money. He just lost his business which could be construed as money he but he'd lost his family and this is one of those i'm like i don't know lord could i could i be so open-handed to place my like to respond to you in this manner the closest i've i think that i've come was back in 2003 when when we ann and i lost our first child through the miscarriage and it was a terribly like bitter time i just didn't understand and i remember i read the i was reading the bible and this verse kind of like percolated in my heart and it kind of like okay lord like i i don't know what you're doing i don't understand and and i certainly wasn't like communicating with anna about this this is me wrestling with god and around this same time is when matt redmond came out with this song blessed be the name of the lord and anna just broke down in tears one day and she said man the lord just gave me this song And then I heard the song and it was like, oh, wow, like that verse in the song, that that song came out of this verse. If we go to Philippians chapter four, I think we see another aspect of this. And in Philippians chapter four, one of the verses that we see on boxers robes as they're entering into the ring is Philippians 413. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then the guy's knocked out, and you think, "Man, did he get something wrong there?" Or is this like verse? I I thought he could do all things, and we misunderstand this verse, so it, it, it's taken out of context. But if we look at verse chapter four, verse ten, as Paul writes from jail, he says, "But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before." but you lacked the lacked opportunity. I, the next time your car breaks down or something happens to you that you find yourself helpless and somebody comes to you to help this verse changed everything that the Chick-fil-A day we went down there. We were there for like four hours. I don't like crowds. I like Chick-fil-A. I was ready to get out of there after four hours. And as I walked to the car, I'm going, Man, where are those jingly things? Uh, Oh man, I don't see it. I'm like, hey Ben, can you run back to go look? He's like, Okay, I'll go look, but it's like well Nathaniel was there too, yeah. And you did the running, okay. Nathaniel did the running and it's like, Okay, there's like seven thousand people here at Chick fil A, they're not gonna find my keys. And, man, I was, like, not very excited about this. And, and then I'm like, okay, well, my dad lives with us now. Maybe he maybe he happens to be home. He's never home. And I call him. And he's like, oh, yeah, everything's open. I'll go get your keys. I'll bring them down to you right away. And, and because of this verse, it's like it's changed these circumstances, like how I view these circumstances. Like, Paul is in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Why is he rejoicing? He's like, well, I know you've always cared for me, but because of my situation, it's, a, it's enabled a, a, a place for you to respond. And so there I was with no car keys, and I know my dad's always cared for me, but man, I rejoiced in the Lord that he was able to display his love for me by driving down to San Marcos with these keys. It, it, it could be any situation in your life where you, where you have a setback, a, like, ah, oh, moment, but then somebody responds to help you. It's very humbling when people respond in love. And he says, not that, I respect, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. That means without money, without food, without the pleasures of a place to live or a shower, I also know how to live in prosperity with a home, hot water, uh, food, all kinds of great things. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering needs. So, so the stuff of this world, whether we have it or not, that's not the secret to contentment or happiness. But then in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Literally, the way I would translate this in the midst of our mistranslation or misapplying of this verse, you could translate this verse, I can endure all things in Christ who strengthens me. And so you're like, God, what are we talking about all this for? So, <laughs> so if you come back to 1 John, when John says, listen, don't love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. He's saying, I'm giving you warning. Like God's the one who blesses us. God's the one who guides us. And it's so easy as you're going through life and as he begins to bless you, to then take your eyes off the one who blesses and to put it on the blessing. And then you begin to worship the stuff, the things of the world. And then we get in trouble there because if that stuff goes away, then we get sad. If this stuff comes, we get happy. But if our eyes are on the Lord and we say, okay, we get stuff. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me in this way. The stuff goes away. Lord, I'm really sad, but you know best. And I'm going to bless your name even in not having stuff. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to keep my eyes on the things that matter most. He goes from this general stain, and he's going to get more specific. What are, what are some areas that we, we struggle with? He says in verse 16, for all that is in the world, now he's going to get down to the nitty-gritty. What's the stuff in the world that we have to be cautious of? He goes on to say the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I had one seminary professor say, hey, this is the three-pronged attack that Satan uses over and over and over again from from, from Genesis chapter 3 to present day. And, and here's John. He's, he's not writing as one looking down on them. He's, he's encouraging them to watch out for these pitfalls. He's fallen in all of these pitfalls. If we read through the gospel of John, we see that this John is the one who tried to pray fire down from heaven onto the people the guy who wanted to tell jesus do whatever i tell you to do and i want to be in all your glory i want to be at your right hand all of the things that he did wrong as he matured in the lord his perspective and his understanding changed we see this this term lust this is a term that we don't necessarily use in our culture i'm trying i thought i had a this is how somebody defined it here lust to strongly desire to have what belongs to someone else and or to engage in activity which is morally wrong to covet to lust evil desires lust desire sometimes those dictionaries kind of regurgitate stuff but so this this lust is this, this desire from within that goes two different directions. And the first thing that he addresses is the lust of the flesh, these sort of, these carnal cravings that are not of the Lord or that may be of the Lord, but are applied in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. If you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter five, and Galatians chapter five is where we read about the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. But before you get to the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 19, Paul warns of the deeds of the flesh. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, bless you, immorality, impurity, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I love that Paul leaves it sort of open-ended. This is not an an exhaustive list. If I was to give an exhaustive list of the deeds of the flesh, I would never stop writing. But the fruit of the Spirit is and it it is it's it's singular and so there's this worrying when i was going through with anna last night she's like yeah this is kind of like is it summarized in that saying sex drugs and rock and roll i'm like "Yeah, i'll quote you tomorrow with that one but so there's he's saying watch out for these 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 carnal desires this this lust within that maybe desires that god has given but used out of context they're bad like sex within the, the context of marriage is a beautiful, wonderful thing, but if you follow our world, uh, open any magazine, any commercial, football is horrible. It's it's marketing off of the d- desires that y- that used or expressed outside of the way God intended are terribly destructive. And he warns of the lust of the flesh. Then he says, the lust of the eyes. Th- this is stuff that you see, that you that you want, that you can't have. I find it hilarious that this week I was kind of zinged with this one. On, on, on the North County Times, I see that my dream house went on the market. <laughs> I posted on Anna's Facebook page, said, hey, honey, this is. Happy birthday early. I just got to figure out how to pay for it. But whenever we drive down to Carlsbad, like right on the water there, there's like this light blue Victorian like mansion that I we just go, man, only if. How awesome would that be? Man, and then I see it's on the market. So if I could just come up with $2 million, I'm set. But that doesn't account for all of the expenses running the place. But so this is seeing something that you want. It, it could be a car. It could be a house. It could be uh, something else. I don't, whatever it is that you struggle with. And in our culture, hey, you can't afford it? Don't worry. Easy financing. Seven million easy payments of this amount, and it can be yours. And so there's this, there's this caution the, these sensual desires within that aren't of the Lord, these these cravings that we see something and we think, if I only had that, if I only had that car, or if I only had that house, then I would be happy. These things that are like carrots that dangle out that we chase after, we put ourselves into great debt, we do things, We or we work to death and we are never with our family because we're chasing after these things that we think will bring happiness, but they don't. And he says, don't fall for that trap. I've been around the block a couple times. Stay strong. Walk with the Lord. You know him. You've conquered the evil one. Don't fall for the lust of the the flesh, the lust of the eye. And then the third thing and the boastful pride of life, the boastful pride of life, I think, is summarized with the saying, if you've got it, flaunt it. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I kind of, I, it cracks me when I see people. The thing that's helped me with lust of the eye is when I see people driving a car that I really like. And I think it's like, man, I would really like that Porsche 911. But think of his payments. He doesn't own that thing. I'll dri- I don't mind driving my car with $190,000. It's paid for. That bumper sticker, when I see the little the little dump cars that say, don't laugh, it's paid for. That, that brings true envy. It's like, man, that's the way to go. No debt, free from the bondage of money. It's this boastful pride of life where you're trying to, to build yourself up over others. You, you can't take any of it with you when you die. And he says, the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives Forever. One of the things when we get sick, we watch a lot of TV, right? We go on to our our live. I, well, I don't. We stream stuff. And as I was kind of coming out of the sickness, one of the the I streamed this documentary online, and it was fascinating. It was about the 30s, specifically. It said the 30s, but it was really about 1929, and the culture in America. During 1929, they interviewed a bunch of people who were kids there that grew up in these very wealthy families. And it was fascinating to me to, to listen. Uh, to the testimonies from this time when america was booming the stock market would never fail and everybody's placing their money an economy that would never go bad they were chasing houses and cars and fine wines and all of this stuff was just going great And, and and as it began to fail the panic and there was one guy, I forget his name, who he just went on the floor and started. He's like, I'll buy all of these stocks, all these shares to try to keep people chasing after the carrot. And to realize that the humanity, that the stock, the stock market back then was, was promising these things of happiness. And everybody was buying in. But it was a system that was due to collapse. And, and, and looking at that and listening to the radio today. And in light of our election, I mean, politicians, all they're doing, they're marketing. They're they are going after your the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, the boastful pride of life. If you vote for me, and I don't care what side you're on, every, your world, your life is going to get so much better. You're going to get more money. All your stuff that you worry about, like medical expenses, it's going to be paid for and covered. All, all of these things that that we put our confidence in to to try to find joy it's marketing and and john says don't fall for it place your things the world is passing away all of this stuff when you die it's not going to mean anything in eternity so seek after the father honor him walk with him and in that you'll live forever I, i wanted to read From a paraphrase, we're 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 getting close to communion today. It's coming, and this would be a short message. But the the message paraphrase, I liked how it worded these these three or four verses. And don't read along in your Bible; you're not going to be able to follow. It's a paraphrase. But I thought the way Eugene Peterson phrased this helped put these these few verses into easier to swallow sort of understanding. And he writes don't love this world's ways don't love the world's goods love of the world squeezes out love for the father practically everything that goes on in the world wanting your own way wanting everything for yourself wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the father it just isolates you from him the world and all its wanting 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 is on the way out but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. And so this picture of, of God has us here for a reason. And, and we have to caution ourselves as we, as we read this verse, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, but the love of the father is not in him, it it can set us off to, to an extreme of isolation that, that we're going to, Go be in our own little corner of us four no more. And I don't trust the three of you that are with me because you're evil. And, and we, we go into isolation from the world. And that's not what God's asking us to do. Jesus' prayer, his high priestly prayers, it's referred to in John 17, right before he was to go to be betrayed. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And as he's praying for them, he's, Lord, sanctify them. Keep them strong in you because they've got to go out. There's a world that doesn't know you. There's all kinds of people are being misled by this world's ideology. And, And the key is. Not isolation, but insulation. That we need to insulate ourselves. We need to be strong in the Lord and you can go out. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. As he's talking about, it's his second letter. I don't know what ha- We refer to it as 1 Corinthians, but he'd, he'd written them before. I believe that he was so angry in, in their behavior that God said, well, that one's not going into the record books for eternity. We're going to just delete that one and we're going to start with this one and as paul writes them this second time or maybe it's a third time i don't know how many upset letters paul sent to them but he says as i wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people i did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or with idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world he goes on to explain, listen, the people I'm telling you to warn out that I'm giving you warning for them are those that are professing Christians that are living these these lives of hypocrisy to to be cautious there. But as you're out in the world, you can't go anywhere. The, the world we our job is not, as J. Vernon McGee said, is not to clean the fishbowl, but is to catch fish and to tell them about Jesus so lives could be changed. And when I look at these commands about loving the world, it's, it, it, it's, it's terribly difficult because the world is terribly appealing. If we're honest, the lust of our flesh, those are strong desires. The, the lust of our eyes, man, those are strong craving. The boastful pride of life that we get into a setting and we want, we want to feel significant and so the way that we feel significant is if we elevate ourselves from those that we're around. These are these are areas that are terribly difficult to overcome. But the key to all of this is is in communion. We need Jesus. Jesus is the key. I'm writing you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for His name's sake. Jesus came to this world. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross, not because of his sin, but because of our sin. That our sin was placed upon him, that the wrath of God was unleashed upon him so that by believing in him, we might have life. And so if you're here today, you're not a Christian. It's as simple as believing in Jesus. If you believe that his work on the cross was done for you, We're told that at that moment that you're sealed in the spirit, that that you're justified before God because of him, that God's righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to your account. Your sins are no longer held against you. As we come to take communion, we it's a time of reflection. And maybe as we bow our heads, as we as we get ready to take communion, a prayer, Lord, what areas am I missing the mark? Are there areas that I'm struggling with in my flesh, with my eyes, my boastful pride of life? Lord, help me to see my life through your eyes. I want to walk with you. I, Lord, I want to please you in all things. And as John told us that already in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is a time for believers that we, we restore our fellowship with him. Remember, he paid it all. Your your good works on this earth are not to earn merit with God. It's not that Jesus paid 90% and it's up to you to close that that 10% gap because you could never do it. It's all about him. And as we take communion, we're reminded that we're to proclaim his death. This is the key, that Jesus died for us and in him we have life. And we're told that as often as we partake of communion, we're to proclaim his Lord, the Lord's death until he comes. So I'd ask you, who, who are people that you know that don't know Jesus? Are you communicating with people? Are you sharing the love of God with people? Pray for them that they might come to know him through Christ. So I'm gonna pray. Rick's gonna come sing the old rugged cross. And when you're ready to come get your elements, just just come get the elements and then go back to your seat and take them when you're ready. So, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for John's life, Lord. And, Father, I think of just the, the, the many situations I've been into in the military and sports, Lord, to have a coach or someone come alongside and and to, to build us up and to, to tell us what we're doing well, and then to give warnings of, of, of places to... To guard ourselves and so lord we thank you for the apostle john lord that he um, points us to christ that we would abide in him for in him is our only hope and father he warns us of these areas that so often trip us up and lord if we find ourselves here today tripped up and struggling over certain areas father help us to to surrender this over to you lord may you help us in these areas that we we constantly struggle our our eyes our flesh our pride father we desire to be more like you but we recognize lord that it's only through christ's help that we can um, to live out this christian life and so fathers we take our this communion we just ask lord that you would that your spirit would guide us that you would direct us lord we love you father and we pray this in christ's good name amen